I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where we take a look at the events that will be making the news in the coming days and weeks. I'm Richard Fletcher, business editor of The Times, standing in for Robert Miller, who is sadly off sick. So get well soon, Robert. I'm joined by Nick Fildes, Telecom's editor, to talk all things BT, from the takeover of EE to the upcoming Ofcom review. We've also got Deirdre Hitwell here to talk about the high street with results in the coming days from both MS and Primark owner Associated British Foods. And finally, Catherine Hopkins, who's going to talk about the Bank of England's quarterly inflation report and the MPC meeting next week. So, Nick, to start with you, BT, too much power? Well, given the uh, Competition Markets Authority has allowed them to take over EE with no remedies whatsoever, they're now the biggest uh, broadband, the biggest mobile phone, biggest fixed-line company, also own the old national network that everybody else relies on, barring Virgin, and even they use it in places. So, uh, so yeah, they're, they're certainly a, a force to be reckoned with, uh, whether they've got too much is uh, the question that Ofcom is now now considering themselves. So Ofcom have, have announced this review, and obviously uh, BT's rivals are hoping that they recommend that OpenReach, the, uh, as it's called, the bit that's, that, that, that maintains the wires and the broadbands and, and the telephone lines, they're hoping that that's going to be spun off into a separate company. It'd be quite a large company, wouldn't it? It would yes. be a FTSE 100 company it wouldn't be it wouldn't be tiny absolutely not um yeah it'd be, a, it'd be an enormous business big infrastructure business very much like national grid uh, focused entirely on upgrading the network and serving those clients whereas at the moment as a struck a functionally separated part of bt it does tend to uh, it does tend to follow bt retail's lead and the suave chief executive of bt gavin patterson he doesn't like this idea does he i had breakfast with him recently and he was telling me what a bad idea it would be absolutely not and he will fight tooth and nail to uh, to stop this happening now he will argue that it should be part of bt that every major economy germany france uh, they have integrated telecoms companies that can make the investment, they can reinvest what we spend on our phones uh, back into the broadband network for the benefit of everybody. And they also point to markets like New Zealand and Australia, where they have taken that move to strip out, if you like, the retail side from the infrastructure side, and they, they, they're, not, they're not seeing them as hugely successful. And what's your betting? Because Sharon White, the new boss of Ofcom, she certainly seems a little bit more aggressive than her predecessor. You, what's your betting? Do you think she will conclude that they need to be separate companies? Uh, she's certainly more feisty than Ed Richards um, and is going to make her mark. It's important to remember that Ofcom can't make this decision themselves. They can make a recommendation, but if BT was to be split up, it will be a CMA decision, the same people that just uh, cleared the EE deal. Um, it will be up to them to make that decision. 
And the bankers you talked to, Deirdre, with your M and A hat on, what are they? What are they betting on? Do they think there'll be a, a split? Are they rubbing their hands in glee at the prospect of all those fees? Yeah, well, I mean, M and A bankers are a bit like estate agents, aren't they? They're always going to talk up a sale. But interestingly, a, a lot of the view in the market is that there isn't really a need for a breakup or an intervention because a, a lot of bankers argue that this market is regulating itself, that there is huge competition because you have the BT wholesale arm, which is actually providing access to a lot of, you know, I think it's like, you know, virtual network operators, ISPs and that. And they're arguing that we are one of the most competitive markets in terms of prices um, and access to broadband. So the argument would be the market is, market competition is already regulating. Yeah, that's absolutely true. But yeah. I, I think uh, BT's detractors would say that's the result of the functional separation and has worked up until now. For, for the next 10 years, when we move into more fibre, ultra-fast broadband speeds, does that market structure work? And obviously they would argue otherwise. Uh, because it's all about incentives. They're saying BT is incentivising itself. It, it benefits the most. It ploughs that cash that Openreach makes back into its own business, football rights, that sort of thing. They'll deny that till their dying day, but uh, that, that's how they see it. And so what's the timetable? This obviously won't be decided in the coming weeks. I suspect it's going to be the coming months and maybe even years. Uh, that's absolutely right. We're, we're hoping for a provisional decision by Ofcom by the end of the year. Obviously, it's a big a big task. And it's important to remember they're not just looking at the split up of BT. They're looking at how the, how the market can function. And BT, for instance, desperately wants Sky and pay TV to be included in this review. They're saying you now buy your telecoms package alongside your TV package, so why should you treat them separately? And they're looking at Sky's pretty dominant position there and saying you should be looking at that as well. Nick, thank you very much. So from one suave chief executive in Gavin Patterson to another in Mark Bolland, that's I think called a segue, isn't it? So we've got MS interim results this uh, coming up. That's right, next week. Um, and, you know, MS is always of interest. Uh, the British nation is obsessed with how MS does. In fact, I think how we feel as people. Services. Absolutely. How we feel as people is determined by how well MS is doing. And, you know, next week they might actually face some uncomfortable questions about what's been happening with their website this week. Because obviously they've they've had some issues with, with data breaches there, which is, you know, in light of the talk-talk situation and also this class action suit that Morrison's is facing. That could be some questions that he probably wouldn't want to be answering next week, but he may well be asked but as always with MS, the big question next week is how is their general merchandise doing are people buying their clothes and in particular women because food is still doing well isn't it which which a lot of people hadn't expected it to be doing well at this when we went into the recession if you'd been asked to, to, to predict which food retailers would be hardest hit by a downturn you would have probably have said MS food because although it is very nice it is at the more expensive end of the range but actually food has outperformed its rivals hasn't it it has it's been a consistently good performer i mean i think it's a combination it's quite differentiated you might choose if you'd been a, a waitrose shopper you might still go there but you might choose to buy some other items you know, from a little or an Asda, whereas MS has quite a differentiated ready meal market and, you know, lunchtime trade and its quality and service is always very good. So I think that has helped it and I think it's a very slick operation, their food operation. Catherine? Has it made any improvements this year in terms of its uh, women's fashion range? Because I know it's faced quite a lot of criticism the past few years for not getting it quite right. Well, I think they're always trying. Um, obviously, they, you know, they bought in... 
Belinda Earl. They did. Uh, as their style um, director to help. And I think they are always trying to, I think part of what they've had to do is try and simplify some of their own brand ranges because that's often been the criticism as you go into M&S and it's like you can't see the wood for the trees. There's just a sea of clothing and you can't quite pick out what you want. And I think they're trying to simplify that range, highlight the brands that are doing particularly well and also just do this thing that retailers like to talk about, about capsule shopping, like putting store displays where you can suggest to people what they might like to buy. I, I went around a store with Mark a few weeks ago. He was very proud of that and very proud of the colours of the lots of different cardigans. Uh, 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 maybe tops is actually rather than cardigans, but he was very well, pleased. Well, they do with... a good line of cardigans, does <laughs> him and S. I have a few myself. And, and the, uh, but the international, that's also struggling. So f- food doing well, clothing a little bit mixed but international they're having some problems with some of their franchise stores aren't they I think in Russia and and elsewhere yeah I mean it's kind of hard to say because obviously I think it was two years ago Mark Bolin said that they wanted to have 250 stores overseas over the next three years but that was obviously before you know certain macroeconomic things which they have no control of like the slowdown in China so I think they've closed some stores in China but I think they were in secondary cities and I think they still have a China program I think they'll have 10 stores at the end and I think they've closed some stores in Eastern Europe I think their overseas plan is still on track it might have just slowed down a bit I think the problem is always with M&S if they do if they even close one store in China it's like oh the, the China program has been a disaster but I think it's more a case of s- slow but surely. And there was this rather bizarre story, wasn't there? One of the Sunday papers, uh, which will remain nameless, about Mark Bonner had pledged to another two years, all unsourced, but had told the board that he would do another two years. Any idea what that um, was about? And, and the answer can be no, because I couldn't figure it out. Uh, no, I don't know what that was about. The view is that Mark... I mean, he's said every time he stands up at an AGM or a results that he's here to stay and that, you know, he is going to turn around M&S, I think. And I think he is in a way because he's been saying it for so long. I think he really does have to stay and, and prove that he can. he's the man to turn around general merchandise. But in terms of the two-year deadline, I certainly didn't get any view that there was a, a deadline that he'd said to the board that in two years' time, you know, I could be gone. So I think he's there to stay for now. And yeah. of course, you know, often in these cases, it's not always in the CEO's remit as to how long they stay. Because he has delivered an improvement in profit margin, hasn't he? he? He recruited the Lindsay brothers from Next and they've taken out some costs. So he has, for shareholders, there is an improvement in that he has been delivering some some improvement in profit margins, hasn't he? That He has, absolutely. And, and also, I mean, you know, there's quite a healthy dividend from M&S and I think their prospective dividend yield is about 4%, 4.1% even. So, I mean, that's not too shabby when, you know, when you're thinking about which retail stocks to invest in. The problem they have is that, you know, analysts are quite mixed on them. I mean, Peel Hunt put out a scathing review earlier this month and I think in one day, you know, M&S had lost about 180 million off the back of that and they had titled it something along the lines of that red ink is not in fashion and they were making the point that the clothing ranges weren't great and that if they lost their reputation for quality at affordable prices that it would be a long road back for consumers whereas others are pointing to the fact that he is doing quite a good job food continues to be a driver and you know it is it is a yielding stock and at the other end of the high street, we have Primark and that, with ABF results, so they'll, they'll be included in that. Does the Primark juggernaut just roll on? I mean, they've opened up in the US, haven't they, recently? They have. It might be a bit too early for them to update on how it's done because I think they only opened in September and they do tend to be quite cautious. I think they'd want to see, 
you know, a couple of months trading before they decide on that. But they've opened in Boston and it'll be interesting to see if they give any update on that. And of course, they've also opened in Milan, you know, the home of fashion. Um, so they continue to do extremely well in Europe. It's it's quite extraordinary how well Primark stores do. Do you yeah. wear the odd piece of Primarni? I used to shop in Primark all the time in Cardiff, but I just find it too stressful in London. There's too many people in there, so I can't. <laughs> I think you have to find the right Primark. Like yeah. Oxford Street is Oxford quite busy, Street, but no. if you go out, you know, to for example, there's a big one in Harrow, which is rather pleasant shopping environment. One reason to go to Harrow, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing Nick doesn't shop at Primark. I do not shop in Primark. <laughs> so, Catherine, busy week for the Bank of England. Yeah, on Thursday um, we're going to have quite a busy day because we've first got the Bank of England's monetary policy decision, then we've got minutes and then we have the inflation report and this is the second time ever that we're going to have this structure, that this is part of the new regime, that, that it's all going to happen on one day. And there was the idea once uh, in the midst of time that because this was a combined MPC and inflation report, this may have been when we were going to get the interest rate rise, wasn't yeah. it? But that seems like a long and distance past, yeah. given that no one now expects rates to go up until, what, middle of 2017? Isn't that, is that, is yes. that now the betting? Yeah, I, th- I think that's the latest. I gave up a long time ago trying to read into Mark Carney's so-called forward guidance policy, where he tries to indicate to the public when rates will rise, because I think it's changed about 200 times. But he's changed it again a couple of times in the past month, in fact, but because he's said the end of the year will be when rate rise comes into sharp focus but on the weekend he said that while households should prepare for a rate rise a rise is a possibility and not a certainty so that indicates to me that that it's it's going to be further away before we see one and as you say this is the second time we'll have seen the minutes released on uh, uh, at the same time as the decision and also at the same time as the inflation report the changes we've seen to how the bank releases the minutes we've obviously we're a little way into that now are they seen as working Yes, I think it's going to take a, a bit longer for, for us to sort of re- really see if it's worked. But but so far, so good. It, it's given a bit more transparency to, to the markets about um, the, the way policymakers are thinking. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Catherine. We'll be back next week. Don't forget, if you want to hear us weekly, you can subscribe through iTunes. My thanks to Deirdre, Catherine and Nick. They're on Twitter, at Deirdre Hitwell, at Nick Files and at underscore Catherine Hopkins. Uh, that's with a Y. As am I, Fletcher R. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.